again. I want you to listen to this again. This is how the women uh, responded when they realized what was happening, when they realized the tomb was empty. This comes from the Gospel of Matthew. He says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them. <laughs> Greetings, he said. <laughs> it reads funny, right? It's, Greetings. <laughs> Uh, Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshiped him. Uh, Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So they hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I pray that you would open our minds, our eyes, our ears, and our hearts, that we could receive not just information, but that we would receive your word anew, that it would be fresh to our ears, that we would go from this place that you would put our hands and our feet to work, that our mouths, our entire beings would proclaim this good news in what we say and in what we do so that we could be a people that bring hope and reconciliation in the midst of a world that is lost and in need of you. We pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Many of us here today, we know what happened. Like, you know why you're here, right? Now, this isn't the first time we've heard the stories of Jesus' death and resurrection. I mean, just this morning, I think we've already told it to you three times, right? So he is risen. We know what happened. Now, one of my favorite quotes is from Dallas Willard, and some of you have heard me use this before, but this is the full quote. This comes from a book called The Divine Conspiracy. This is another one of my Desert Island books. Um, He says this. He says, my hope is to gain a fresh hearing for Jesus, especially among those who believe they already understand him. In his case, quite frankly, presumed familiarity has led to unfamiliarity. Unfamiliarity has led to contempt and contempt has led to profound ignorance. Familiarity leads to unfamiliarity. We hear a story so often that we forget what it means. We know what happened but have you really ever wrestled with why did it happen? Why did it all happen and why did it happen in this way? Because I think we have to wrestle with the truth that to an unbelieving world, possibly already so familiar with this story that it has led to contempt and ignorance and in some cases rejection of Jesus. To their ears, this can all sound a little like theatrical. (laughs) A little dramatic. I mean, just last week we talked about uh, Jesus cursing a fig tree and then overturning tables, making a whip to drive people out of the temple, claiming that we could toss the temple itself into the sea. It's a, it's a little extra. It's a little dramatic. We know what happened, but do we know why it happened? Is everything Jesus did just a bunch of performance art? Why did he have to go through suffering and death just to walk out of the tomb a couple days later? An unbelieving world might ask us, if God wants to offer forgiveness for your sins, then why not just forgive you? (laughs) Done. Everything's okay. Move on. So we know what happened. But why did it happen this way? Let's go back to the garden. This is Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. 
Okay, now analogies are what they are. Eventually they all break down, right? But there's an author named Josh Butler. He has a really helpful analogy for this. Uh, He's got a book called The Pursuing God. Uh, You can't read it, but the subtitle of his book is A Reckless, Irrational, Obsessed Love That's Dying to Bring Us Home. I love that title. So, uh, So he says it this way. Actually, I wanna show you what he says. Watch this. Any, uh, any, any fishermen here ever have that happen to you? <laughs> that's, that's terrifying. Sarah, Sarah, our expert shark diver, we don't want that happening when the great whites are jumping, right? Probably not. Probably not, not a good idea. Yeah, so okay, so this isn't a scripture. I'm just making some logical assumptions here, okay? But I can just imagine God talking to the fish at the moment of creation and saying, guys, I made you so that you could swim in the water and it's awesome. So enjoy it. The water's nice. I made your body so that you can cool and heat up as needed. There's a ton of water. Have a blast. But you need to know that the way I made you is that your lungs, they can only process oxygen when you're actually in the water. So if you jump out of the water and onto dry land, if you jump out of the water and onto the boat, you will die. You must not eat from this one tree or you will die. God didn't say that if you eat from this tree, I'm gonna punish you and kill you on the spot. (laughs) In Butler's book, he says that we oftentimes think of God like he's walking along a pier and he sees that one of these fish has jumped out of the water and onto the pier. It's, It's on the deck, it's flopping, it's dying. And he's so mad at it for disobeying him that while it's flopping around dying, he grabs a paddle and beats it to death. (laughs) That is not the God of scripture. That is not who God is. He simply said to humanity in this beautiful garden that he made us, he said, I made all this and I made it for you and I know how it works. I made it all for you except for one thing and I need you to trust me because that one thing will kill you. Why did Jesus have to die? because we jumped out of the water. We walked away from God in the garden, we turned away from life and we chose death instead. And there are simply consequences to that. And now that death has entered into the narrative, there is only one way back. Someone has to submit to death and destroy it from within. Jesus suffered anguish Where? I took you back to the garden for a reason. Jesus suffered in anguish the night before his arrest, and where was he? So timid, because you don't want to give the wrong answer. It's okay, I know. He was in a garden, suffering in anguish the night he was arrested. He died and was buried in a tomb that was in a Garden. garden. Hey, good job. And then he walked out of that garden tomb a couple days later so that we could find our way back to God's life giving garden again. Y'all, we know what he did. This is why he did it. To bring death to death so that we may have life. He exercised his reckless and irrational love. 
by dying for us and defeating death so that he could bring us home. There's a poet named George Herbert. He says this, and I'm just gonna use slide 12, Noah. Uh, He says this, death used to be an executioner, but the gospel has made him just a gardener. All God has ever done is fight to bring his children home, back to the garden again, to give us new life, the life that he created for us, not only life after we die, but real life here and now. Like we celebrate, and of course we live in the promise that this life is not the end, that God is preparing a place for us to be with him forever, but he's making an even more remarkable offer than that. He wants to show you how to live that resurrection life even now. In the weeks following Easter, until we get to the end of May, we're gonna talk about how the Bible describes that resurrection life, what it means to begin to live that life in part, even now. So this brings us back to our gospel reading, back to the way Matthew tells the story. Remember, he said, the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. All right, I want you to think for a minute. I want you to think about a time when you were genuinely afraid. I mean, like terrified, trembling. This might seem odd, but one of my most memorable moments of real terror, it was actually the day that I began training to be a pastor at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, California. I went that summer for a couple months and Jennifer, my wife, uh, she went with me for a few days and then she flew back home before classes started. And the moment she left, I mean, I'm not kidding, the moment she left to go back to the airport, I had my first real life panic attack. And that started a thing that lasted for quite a while, was panic and y'all real fear. Real fear because I knew that things would never be the same. Like I never thought that I would be a pastor. I never really desired it. And don't get me wrong, I'm grateful. And I'm especially grateful to be called to serve at a church that I've already loved for so long. But I didn't understand why of all people God would call me to this day I still don't think that I'm up to the task. And on that day, I was absolutely terrified. One time when I was a kid, um, my friends and I were trespassing. um, And this grumpy old man that owned the property, he didn't like that. So he chased us down on his four-wheeler. And that was pretty terrifying too. Okay, now I want you to think about a moment in your life uh, when you experience true joy, like real joy, not momentary fleeting happiness, but the kind of joy where you are just convinced, like, this is right. Like right now, this is how everything is supposed to be. And I've told some of you this before, but one of the most memorable moments of real joy for me was watching my daughter, Anna. She had the opportunity to dance as Clara in the Nutcracker. And I had the opportunity to be in the show with her because I'm an incredible dancer too. (laughs) So, no, I got to dress up uh, just to play her father for the first five minutes. (laughs) Um, But at the end of the performance, uh, we were lining up to go out for bows when it was all over. Um, And I was the first person at the curtain and I realized that I had never seen the way it ends. Uh, So I was watching and dancer after dancer is leaving the stage. And it left only like my little girl with her beautiful lines, her graceful turns, holding that nutcracker up above her head as the curtain closed and the audience cheered. 
Like I wept. Like watching my little girl do what she loves and do it well, it was true joy. Like in that moment, honestly, for the first time in my life, I realized if I can love and have such pride in somebody, and I know all of her flaws, but if I can love her and have such pride in her, how much more must God's love for me be? My wedding day is another one of those moments. A little bit of fear, a little bit. (laughs) But like 98% joy, right? (laughs) Everything is how it's supposed to be. There's clearly a difference between fear and joy. Like in so many ways, they are polar opposites. If you just consider your own stories, your own moments of fear and joy, you know how very different they are. But what did Matthew tell us? One last time, the women hurried away from the tomb, what? Afraid yet filled with joy. That is the first recorded reaction to the resurrection. Fear filled with joy. Like what even is that? Like I think I know. I think I know what that is and I think that many of you do also. Almost 18 years ago, um, in the middle of the night, I took Jennifer to the hospital. Uh, It was time to meet our first kid face to face. And it was a rough, uh, she was in labor for like 18 hours. Uh, She began to run a really high fever. Things were getting really intense. Uh, But doctors and nurses are amazing. They are a gift. They got right to work. They took care of mama. They helped her bring that baby boy into the world. And then they put him in my arms. Fear filled with joy. Like the reason for joy is obvious, but the fear was real. The responsibility, the weight of raising that tiny human who was completely and totally dependent upon us for those first few hours, actually, not to complain, sorry, Jennifer, not your fault, but she was in a really bad way and y'all, she was out of it for hours. Like it was on me. (laughs) The nurses brought him in at like 2 a.m. and I literally said, what do I do with him? completely dependent on us at first for physical and emotional needs, but throughout the years that we would continue to provide, that we will protect, that we're gonna prepare him for what's next so that he can step out, which he's about to do in just a couple months. So he can step out and begin to forge his own path in the world as an actual real live adult. On both ends of that story, it's fear filled with joy. It is the only way I know to describe it. And I am convinced that that pales in comparison to the fear filled with joy that the women experienced at the resurrection. And look, I know I've told these stories before, but like, I don't have a lot of stories. These are the most profound moments in my life. And we don't have time today for you to share all your stories. But these are moments when I realized that from that point on, my life would never be the same. And ultimately, that's the point. The women experienced fear filled with joy because they knew, because of the resurrection, because in time and space, Jesus has come back from the dead, life will never be the same. Y'all, if Jesus really was raised from the dead, if that really happened in time and space, everything has changed. (laughs) 
And that means that his followers' lives, we should look different. We should look different from the rest of the world. Our lives should look different from a world who believes and lives as if everything is just accidental and there really is no hope. And we, we're not different because we're better. We're different because we've received a gift. The real historical resurrection of Jesus Christ is making us whole again. That's why we're different. And by raising Jesus from the death, God defeated death. In that moment, Jesus is justified in his love for us and in his faithfulness to God. He did it to make a way for us, a way back to the garden, back to the arms of a loving father who did the most reckless, irrational thing imaginable just to bring us home. If Jesus was truly raised from the dead, then reality is now turned upside down and everything has changed. The curse of the garden has been reversed. We should live like it. That warning that I shared from Dallas Willard earlier, y'all, it is so important for us today. Like we can become so familiar with these stories that they become unfamiliar. And I'm convinced that's the reason that so many people who call themselves Christians, they thank Jesus because they got a free ticket out of hell and into heaven, but then they go on and just live life every day as if he doesn't matter. As if he's not a part of it. Unfamiliarity can turn to ignorance and even contempt. And it can lead us to misunderstand and walk away from the very path that Jesus walked on his way to resurrection life. Because you see, Jesus didn't just die on our behalf so that we don't have to. You guys know this fully well. You know this too well. Death is still a part of the equation. It just no longer has the final word. It's not the end. And Jesus has shown us, he modeled for us, how we walk through suffering and pain and even death in this life into new life. And he showed us it's a path of sacrificial love. The path of putting the needs and concerns of others before my own. The path of loving my enemy even in the midst of persecution. If all the people on the planet today who claim to be followers of Jesus walked that path every day, would this world look a little different? It's the path of death to self, to my schemes, to my plans as I try to build my little kingdom. The path that Jesus walked was the path of God's will, not his own. He painfully and willingly submitted his own desires, his own plans to the will of the Father in heaven. He said this as he prayed in that garden, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The path Jesus walked means the end of the kingdom I'm trying to build for myself on my own without God. But y'all, it is not a punishment. It is not a condemnation. It is a gift. It's a gift so that you can begin to enjoy the fruit of God's good kingdom and you can begin to enjoy it even now. The life that he has for you is simply better. He made you. He knows how you're wired. He knows what he made you to do. The life he has planned for you is better than anything that you could possibly imagine. It's what you were created for. Like, do you know why I was so afraid that first day at Fuller Seminary? It's not just because I knew life would never be the same. It's because... I knew that the life that I planned for myself was over. And it was a very different life. <laughs> there was a death. 
then new life. And it's good news. The life that we plan for ourselves is replaced with resurrection life. No matter how good our plans might be, his plans are better. And yes, it requires sacrifice. Yes, it requires submission. But the reward is a life that's filled, not just trying to go from here to there. It's a life filled with purpose and meaning. It's a mission, a set of values that we can embrace and then put into action. This life is a life filled with good, meaningful, and hard work. It's a life bursting with promise, even when we face trials and suffering. You know why I experienced such profound joy on my wedding day and when I watched Anna dance? Because in those moments, I was in the right relationship with the most important people in my life. My role as husband and father were made whole. Everything was as it was supposed to be. God calls himself your father. Scripture says Jesus is the husband, the church is his bride. We were made to live a life where those relationships are whole. Where we are made new and empowered to live a life we could never create for ourselves. That is why Jesus did what he did. And you know why I had so much fear. Fear filled with joy when both of my kids were born. It's because in that moment there was new life. New responsibility. And nothing would ever be the same. You're here today because we're celebrating new life. Eternal life, real life, even here and now. We say he is risen. When you receive that, when you really accept that, you receive a new life. It begins right now. And nothing will ever be the same. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for resurrection life. Uh, when we look out in the world and we, we really can get hopeless and just see like where is all this headed? There's so much just destruction and chaos and you've got another way. And even in the midst of all the chaos, you're forming a people who will live in the midst of it differently. So I just pray today that, that this story becomes familiar to us again that we remember not only what happened, but why it happened. And that we understand that when we leave here today, it has a radical impact on every moment of our lives. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said.